This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we try to evaluate the great takeaways from this five-session journey through the Bible and our world of faith. We talk about the four pillars of Bema and try to imagine a world where we shuvah and partake in some of the same things those early followers did thousands of years ago. Where we shuvah. Good reference. What does that mean, Brent? To return. Return. Repent. Return. Yeah, absolutely. We want to figure out the things that we need to get out of our system and the things that we need to keep, things we need to do again. Not probably some brand new things, some things for our day alone. But I'm really thinking about like, what are the things that have always been there, at least when we look at a recipe for success in the movement of God? What are those things that make up that recipe? What are those ingredients? That's what I want to look at today. So we're finished with the journey, Brent, not with the podcast, mind you. More on that later in our next episode. Do not skip the session five capstone. Do not. You will be sorely disappointed. But uh, we have finished this journey, this journey through history, over the course of how many years? We started this, what, 2016? I mean, some people have done this in a matter of months or weeks, gone through this whole journey. The podcast began 2016. Yeah. I've been studying Bema since 2013. Wow, man. You've been developing the material since, what, 2008? Yeah. So this has been a process. Oof, what a journey. So over the course of all that time, we have traveled from, in the beginning... Bereshit bara Elohim, to this very day today. We have just spent the last uh, few episodes wandering through post-biblical history, session five, figuring out how we got to where we are at today. Well, good news, you are here. And as one of my favorite teachers likes to say, if you're here today, you're here today. Which is like, well, what a stupid statement. So you think about it, and then it's like, ah, I like that. You are here. You are here today. And I'd like to summarize what I believe I learn from this whole journey. What have I learned as I've, what have I been trying to teach, really, as I crafted this body of work here in this podcast? Uh, in the same way that I like to summarize, like, the trips that I lead, With my students, I want to try to do that here at the end of this journey as well. If you come with me to Israel and Turkey, we'll we'll spend, you know, whatever, 12 days together. I'll try to summarize that experience. I'd like to summarize this long journey through Bema. Uh, As I look at the early church, a church couched in a context of first century Judaism, I see four things that stand out to me that I saw not just in the early, not, not just in the first century church, but I saw them in different ways all throughout the scriptures from the very beginning. So I want to talk about these, I call them the four pillars of Bema. And it's, it is a tongue in cheek reference to which pillars, Brent? The four pillars of Hellenism. Four pillars of Hellenism. Listen, if Alexander Great can have four pillars, so can I. Not that I'm equating myself to Alexander the Great, but all the greatest things have four things. Apparently. He gets four pillars, so do I. All right, here's my pillars. First one, number one, the text. By the way, if you ever get a chance to see me, if I ever come to your neck of the woods, doing a weekend event. Um, there is often in my weekend events, I'm doing some version, some extended version of these four pillars. Like a two-hour version. Yeah, or even sometimes like a whole weekend. Like we'll start Friday, we'll spend all day Saturday, we'll even sometimes do a Sunday morning. Sometimes I, I'll do a whole weekend retreat with these four ideas 
as kind of our main talking points. So come join us if you're going to chance to, because we're just going to we're going to skip a stone across them today in our episode. But uh, pillar number one is the text. Uh, the first century Jewish world of Jesus was a world deeply committed to the text. Hopefully that's not a surprise to any listener who has made it this far. They loved their text. Teaching their children how to memorize the entire Torah at a very early age, and then much, much of the rest of Tanakh, they had a working knowledge of God's commandments that we can hardly begin to understand. Without the printing press, this oral communication and commitment of God's word to memory would prove invaluable to an entire culture of people devoted to following God. Unfortunately, when we lost our connection to our Jewish heritage by rejecting the Jewish identity upon which we were built, we didn't just lose relationships with the Jewish people, that would be bad enough, even worse, we lost the written word of God as well. Not like literally, because we have the Bible. Like we think we've done great because we've preserved the Bible and we have the Bible and we have the Bible, but we lost like the the Bible Bible. There's a difference between having a Bible on your shelf and having the Bible in you. As the one word that doesn't return void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Those words come from Isaiah 55. When we lose those words, we effectively lose the power of our movement. Paul told us in Ephesians that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. I believe we lost the power of the spirit by losing our connection to the text, exchanging it for a fascination, maybe even an idolatry of doctrine and creed. It's a little bit convicting. And that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I like that. And I've had people push back and be like, no, 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 Marty, we don't need the Bible like that because that's what the Jews got wrong. We just need the Holy Spirit. I find that to be so interesting because in the very Bible that we say is inspired and infallible, the Bible calls the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I'm not saying the Word of God is the Spirit. I'm saying those two things are intimately connected. If you take the Word away, I believe personally, you take away a very key connection to the work of the Holy Spirit. Second pillar. So the first one is text. The second pillar is community. Community. Our Hellenistic ways always deceive us. Again, as we jettisoned our connection to a Jewish world that lived in intentional subversion to the pagan narrative, we were left with our own pagan roots deeply entrenched in the narrative of empire and the Roman worldview. Instead of living in intentional community, Rejecting the lies of self-preservation, luxury, comfort, and leisure, we embraced and still do to this day those tools of the empire. The most fascinating and effective tool of the kingdom is an inclusive community, an inclusive community that shows the world a better way to live. And by inclusive community, Brent, I'm not just talking about friendships. I'm not talking about making sure you have buddies and fellow brothers and sisters. I'm talking about radical fellowship with people you don't agree with. That's what makes the church the church. That's what makes it a Eucharistic community. Third pillar. First one, text. Second one, community. Third, discipleship. One of the best ways of training up leaders was the first century model of discipleship. Consider the fact that Jesus started no churches and went on no missionary journeys. What he did do and then asked us to do was make disciples. He spent three years with 12 young men, all day, every day, and some women, by the way, as well. He changed the course of human history. 
He didn't lead Bible studies, which are great. He didn't create awesome new conferences to teach the masses, although those are incredibly beneficial. I have loved many that I have been to. He simply went out, told 12 guys to follow me, and then showed them how to live as God had asked them to live. It changed everything. And we don't do this anymore. We just don't do that anymore. Last pillar. First one, text. Second, community. Third, discipleship. Fourth, what I call wrestling. The early church community was a community devoted to the same wrestling that Jacob, the father of the Israelites, all the way back in session one, was known for. They didn't think answers to all their questions were the point. They believed the text was meant to be wrestled with and that life was tricky and difficult. They did not believe in formulas or self-help strategies. They believed in walking the path with faithfulness. This walk, this walking of the way, meant things could be quite complicated and messy. There are many shades of gray. However, working with God to restore the world would be worth the great wrestling match, but this too was something we lost. Because we had lost the text, questions and doubts were threatening to our doctrines and our creeds. We immediately began to identify orthodox answers to questions and discouraged dissent. In a world that was founded on a culture of chutzpah, remember that from session one, Brent? Session two, little Elijah. Oh, yeah. Uh, chutzpah and engagement. This was an odd experiment that didn't look like that. So we lost the text. We disengaged from subversively inclusive community. We stopped making disciples the way that our Jesus did and discouraged wrestling. It was not that long ago that we were killing people for dissent. It was not. And, and we have a long history of that. It wasn't just like one brief chapter. It was like a recurring chapter that keeps showing up in the story. We still don't know our text. We find it nearly impossible to even experiment with true community because of the idolatry of our consumerism and comfort. We have labels and groups of people, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives. We have ethnic identities. We find so many ways to divide ourselves. We run church programs and we invest in programmatic ministries rather than believing discipleship could change the world. And we still discourage people from asking questions that push the boundaries or color outside the lines. So is there any hope? I believe the answer is yes, despite all my criticism and pessimism in that last little bit. I think there is hope. God has placed you and I here for such a time as this. Consider the following. Let's go through those pillars one more time as we consider this. How about text? Because of the internet, we have an unprecedented amount of Bible study tools and information at our fingertips. Unlike any other point in human history, accessibility to truth is at an all-time high. Even though many of us struggle to have a knowledge of the text rivaling that of Orthodox Judaism, we do have the tools to pursue that kind of understanding and keep learning, learning, learning. If the disciples knew that we had BibleGateway.com or online lexicons to do word searches in a matter of seconds, seconds, Brent Billings, they would roll over in their graves. There's no reason we cannot create our own kind of Essene community, people who seek to know the path and walk the path. What about community? Pillar number two. 
Is there any hope there? Well, no matter the time or place in history, if we are human, then we are capable of great community. There is no reason we cannot create subversively inclusive communities that show the lies of our culture's idolatry for what it is, shows the way of Jesus as the best way to live, and even after all these centuries, we can still create communities that teach the world how to Sabbath, how to forgive, how to be generous and hospitable to other people. We can look out for the mumsers. There's nothing stopping us from these endeavors. In fact, because of our connectivity, I love that word, connectivity, and our social networking, and the world of just all kinds of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and email and everything else that comes with this world and will keep coming at us. We have tools to facilitate community like never before. Consider all the things we learned with the uh, old COVID-19 pandemic and the way we were able to log into Zoom, create new communities, create new ways of connection. We have the tools. It simply requires that we do not settle for pseudo-community that allows us to keep our Herodian idolatry of consumerism and neo-Hellenism. We have to make the sacrifices necessary for true, true community. So what about uh, this third pillar, discipleship? Well, I remain convinced that this method and this model of discipleship would be just as effective in our world as it ever was in the Greco-Roman context. Total immersion into a way of living and a way of walking is still the best context for true learning and true transformation. It's not easy to fit into our world. It's not easy to take this method of discipleship and put it in our world and the way that we live. We certainly don't live in a culture that facilitates these commitments, but the Great Commission still sits for us to seize today more than ever. I mean, I've experienced something like this. Yeah. On the job training. Sure. We, know, we actually know how to do this in the right context. The problem is we haven't facilitated our faith communities and those particular spaces and context for this experience. Yeah, exactly. It's a great point. Uh, what about wrestling, our last pillar here? Maybe one of the best things post-modernity has given us is a culture that values the complexities of life and rejects the notion of black and white answers. I love this about millennials and Gen Z. This kind of context often misidentified as moral relativism. It's not what it is. It's not that. I mean, it can be, but that's not what it is. Uh, This context is not our enemy. It is an incredible opportunity. We need to recapture a world where questions are not a threat to our systems of control, but the doorway to discovery. We need to trust the process of searching, believing that if we truly do search for God, we will find him just as he promised us. We're going to work towards a closing here, Brent, but on the topic of wrestling, just finish up this idea of wrestling. I thought as we closed this episode, it it would be wise, it would behoove us to wrestle, not just with abstract concepts, not just with the four pillars of Bema. That can can provide like the the foundation of our wrestling match. Like that, that can be the mat on which we wrestle. But maybe we need to examine like our own, like the way that we participate, our own participation in the world of empire and how that idolatry has its claws in us. Remember back in session, I think it was the end of session two, Brent, when we kept recommending, what book did we recommend like 30 million times, Brent? Can you remember? Out of Babylon. Out of Babylon by? Walter Brueggemann. Walter Brueggemann. It's a great book. And I loved that part, the ending of session two. Well, one of the things that I saved for the very end of our time here was in that book, 
uh, Brueggemann starts and ends with, he uses kind of as his his foundation of that book, a song by Emmylou Harris. There's a song by Emmylou Harris called Time in Babylon. And obviously his whole book is looking at the prophets, looking at uh, as uh, Israelite captivity and, and learning lessons from that. I saved that for the end because I wonder if there's not really still in so many ways a Babylon that we find ourselves exiled in, often maybe not even aware of it. And so there's this, this we're going to put a link to the, uh, to the song, a uh, YouTube of the song by Emmylou Harris, Time in Babylon, for copyright reasons. We're going to encourage you to go listen to that on your own. It's not hard to find. You can pick it up on Spotify or yeah. Apple Music or whatever. Yeah. We know how music works today, right? We can figure that stuff out on our own. Here's some lyrics. I just want, I just want to read some lyrics. Let these, let these be an artistic. This is not really my style. I don't do a ton of this, Brent, but here we are. One of our last session, one of our last episodes of session five, and I'm going to lean into my poet here. I'm going to lean into my artist. Do Brent, it. Brent's grinning like, oh boy, we're in for it now. <laughs> I just, I, I just, um, I'm anticipating a, a slip into the rut of the melody. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. We'll see. All right. Here's some lyrics out of the song. Just let these, let these be a prophetic. Let Emmy Lou Harris be a prophet for our journey here. Be a prophet for you in this space here. Listen to this. Listen to this. Five, lay, five lane highway danger zone, SUV and a speakerphone. You need that chrome to get you home doing time in Babylon. Cluster mansion on a hill, another day in Pleasantville. If you don't like it, take a pill. Doing time in Babylon. In the land of the proud and free, you can sell your soul and your dignity for 15 minutes on TV. Doing time in Babylon. So suck the fat and cut the bone and fill it up with silicone. Everybody must get cloned doing time in Babylon. If something there doesn't like ring true to you Oof. already, I'd be Oof. surprised. Oof. Well, let's keep going just in case. I want everybody to be, have a chance to be convicted here. Uh, next verse, she says, uh, We came from apple pie and mom through civil rights and banned the bomb. To Watergate in Vietnam, hard times in Babylon. Rallied round the megaphone, gave it up and just got stoned. Now it's Prada, Gucci, and Perone doing time in Babylon. Get results. Get them fast. We're ready if you got the cash. Someone else will be laughing last doing time in Babylon. So put that conscience on the shelf. Keep the best stuff for yourself. Let the rest fight over what is left doing time in Babylon. Uh, you know, I, th- I go all the way back to where we started, Brent, with trust the story, empire and shalom. What's the narrative of empire? What's the narrative of shalom? I listen to this song that Brueggemann brought to my attention and I go, oh my goodness, this same narrative, this this tale of two kingdoms still still alive and well for me sitting right here Today, the chorus of that song says, little boy blue, come blow your horn. The crows are in the corn. The morning sky is red and falling down. The piper's at the till, and he's coming for the kill, luring all our children underground in Babylon. The end of the song, the last chorus, ends with this refrain, you let your song of healing spark a way out of this dark lead us to a higher and a holy ground. In a lot of ways, that would be my prayer for our journey, that we would let the prophetic 
convict us and that the song of the prophet would be a way out of our dark, leading us to a higher and a holy ground. You, you, you can think about these things and come up with all sorts of things that you're, you're going to want to do. You're going to want to be. You're going to want to walk in. Will you wake up tomorrow and do all these things like a champ? No, you will not. But you can wake up tomorrow and set some realistic and obtainable goals to begin making new ground in all four of these areas. Yes, you can. I know that, Brent, because that's how my journey started. I came back from Israel 2008, and I just wanted to start memorizing one paragraph every week of the Bible. And I just kind of kept adding little bits and pieces. And as that stuff got inside of me, I wanted to live it out. And I just kept experimenting, just kept trying. It started with realistic goals, lots of failure, lots of failure, but a commitment to grow in things that I now believed in a whole new way. I I believe some wise man once said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with what, Brent Billings? One step. One single step. Or let me quote the Talmud. Here to close our episode. The Talmud says, just as rain falls in drops and forms mighty rivers, so it is with Torah. A man studies a little here and a little there until understanding comes like a rushing stream. May it be so in our day, Lord. Amen. That's it for today, Brent. We got a capstone lesson still. We're going to talk about where we head next. All right. Sounds good. Uh, if you have any questions about the show, go to BaymontDiscipleship.com. Be sure to check out uh, that song if you didn't have a chance to already. And yeah, if you didn't pick up uh, Out of Babylon going through Session 2, pick it up now. It's a great, great book. Yep, second chance. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast today. We'll talk to you again soon.